Hello to you if you are watching this online or in one of our sites across the city, either in Shoreham, the Villas, Oasis or the Clarendon Centre. In fact, this month it's been brilliant, hasn't it, to be going around each of the sites and praying together. It's been a privilege to pray with you over the last few weeks. We're at the beginning of a series of messages from the book of Acts, which is found in the New Testament in the Bible. And we call the series, The World Turned Upside Down. And it's about the early church. That's what the book of Acts describes. Even if you're someone who is skeptical with matters of faith, the church as a social phenomenon is worthy of anyone's attention. Because in the first century, the church, the followers of Jesus, could fit into one room. In the fourth century, the global superpower of the day, the Roman Empire, had become Christian. And here we are in the 21st century where some estimate that up to a third of the world's population would identify as Christian, over two billion people. How is it that the church from such humble beginnings has spread all across the world and in such numbers? Well, today we're looking at what's often referred to as the birth of the church. We're going back to the beginning, the day of Pentecost, as described in Acts chapter 2. And we'll see how it all began. How do you think the church might have begun this great social movement? Maybe we imagine that, you know, a committee of people got together and agreed, well, this is going to be our doctrine. These are the regulations that we're going to have for our religion. Or someone released a political manifesto. And this is this movement that's going to take over the world. What we see here is actually is a, is a spiritual experience, a shared quite odd, let's be honest, spiritual experience that certain people had. And from this moment, in around the year 33 AD in Jerusalem, this church explodes into life. And what's described here, we're going to read it in a moment, is the coming of the Holy Spirit. God sharing himself with his disciples in a new and special way that turned the world upside down. So I want to speak to, I know when I'm doing this today and and speaking to you, I'm I'm perhaps speaking to three groups of people. Firstly, you uh, might be someone who's not a Christian, but kind of looking into these things. Well, I want to help you understand something of the origins of the church. Even if you don't believe in this spiritual experience that we're talking about, and I know some of it is quite radical and miraculous even, then you at least get some understanding of what Christians believe has turned the world upside down in the way that we have seen through the spread of Christianity. A second group of people would be perhaps you're someone who is a Christian, but this What's described here, this miraculous, dynamic experience, Pentecost experience, would be not something that has been part of your experience. And maybe you even think that it's not really for you. It was for the disciples, but not for us today. Well, I want to help us and hopefully see that this is something that is for you, this filling of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, I know there'll be many Christians who love the filling of the Holy Spirit, want to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to build your faith 
uh, as well. So let's get into it now and look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. There are many idioms that we use day by day, perhaps, that actually have their roots in the Bible, and often we don't realize it. Baptism of fire is such uh, one such phrase that is often used. Now, people use it today to talk about a, a very difficult introduction or initiation to something, but obviously, as you can hear from the passage that we've just heard read to us, this is the origins of it, and it is something of a beginnings, but what's actually happening is quite different than the, how we use that phrase today. In fact, there are four things this coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples, these early followers of Jesus who were one moment are huddled together praying in a room and another moment are exploding out and speaking into different people in different languages. There's four things that's happening that is described in this passage. Firstly, there's the sound of a mighty wind from heaven. That's part of the spiritual experience that is described. Secondly, we have something resembling tongues of fire that rested on each one of them. Thirdly, what's described also is an inward feeling of the Holy Spirit. They experienced God in a certain way. And fourthly, as I've mentioned, they began speaking in different languages and, and people around were amazed that they could hear these people speak even though they knew they weren't from the same place. Without any context, these four features of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost do seem quite odd and perhaps quite random as well. But actually, each one of them is significant. And let me help you understand what each of these dynamics of the coming of the Holy Spirit represents. Firstly, we have the sound of a, a mighty wind. What's that about? Well, the Holy Spirit actually through the Bible, the presence of God, the uh, the, is actually described often as the, the wind or breath of God. The Spirit being the breath. The, the, the Son is often described as the Word of God and the Spirit as the breath. And we see this in the Old and the New Testament. Job 33, for example, says, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. 
Jesus, anticipating this moment that we've got described here, says to his disciples in John 22, what it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit coming as a wind, coming as a breath is actually consistent right the way through the Bible. We also have, secondly, I mentioned there, flames, fire. And again, right the way through the Bible, we have this idea of fire representing the presence and the holiness of God. You might remember from uh, the book of Exodus, the story of Moses. He is an encounter with God. God speaks to him. God speaks to him through a burning bush. And then as we go through the story of Exodus, we have the Israelites led through the wilderness and they're led at night by a pillar of cloud, the presence of God. And also the holiness of God is represented in the temple in the Old Testament. That The presence of God and the holiness of God, fire filled the temple. So God coming to and, and presencing himself with his people in the form of fire is actually something that's quite consistent through the Bible. Thirdly, I said, was also described that these disciples of Jesus suddenly are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, even though it's something, a new stage, it has consistency with what's happened before in the story of the Bible. In the Old Testament, different people at different times were filled with the power of God, the Spirit of God. And it was, it was, it was said that they were filled with the Spirit. And many people, Joseph and Joshua, Samson, Saul, and, and even actually the craftsmen who created the, the, test, uh, the, the temple were said to have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is they were empowered by God for, for purpose, for service. God empowered them to do something. Fourthly then, we have the disciples here speaking in different languages. And that's probably the most random thing about it. It's like, where's that come from? Why is that a feature of meeting with God and God's power coming upon them? And then they start speaking in different languages. Well, it's not as odd as we might suppose. And again, the story of the Bible from the Old Testament helps us to understand what is significant about this. And we actually have to scroll back right the way to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we actually did many series in Genesis starting in the pandemic. And so you can look back on YouTube and look them up. And this uh, parallel here is from Genesis chapter 11. There's a famous story in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, about the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, what happened there was that we had uh, uh, early humanity aiming to construct something, build a tower in defiance of God. And they banded together and it says they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to reject God's rulership over their lives, as it were, and build something to show their own strength and independence from God. And it's kind of like if, you know, you imagine a, a classroom situation and a kid said to their teacher, I don't like your classroom. And he marches off outside to make his own classroom in the playground. And then the other kids say, yeah, we're going to join in too. And they go and make their own classroom in the playground. It's a rejection of authority. And that's kind of <laughs> what's happening in the Tower of Babel. Now, God, how does God respond? 
What does God do to deal with this situation? Well, God doesn't, you know, just come down and stomp on the tower like a big Monty Python foot and get rid of it. He actually does something more, more subtle and actually what's more creative. God confuses their language. These people join together in defiance against God. God causes them to speak different languages. And what happens is that they have to, the people have to spread out across the world and they develop different languages and cultures and become different people groups across the earth. And what we have then, when we get to Acts chapter 2, in the coming of Holy Spirit, we have a symmetry and an opposites and an undoing of what's happened. In Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, we have a homogenous group of people, but they can't understand one another. And then in Acts chapter 2, you heard it read in the passage that we have people from different parts of the world and they've come together and because of the, the work of God, the power of the Spirit, they can understand. There's a uniting, a bringing together where there was a scattering before. And again, with Babel, Genesis 11, they wanted to, what, make a name for themselves. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes upon these people, they start to declare the mighty acts of God. Did you hear that passage? So it's not about their name, it's about God's name. You see the symmetry between these two events. You might be thinking, so what? Okay, okay the symmetry between two random passages in the Bible. That's interesting for Bible nerds like you, but not. What difference does that make? Well, okay, do this then. Go on your phone, open your news app, scroll through the news. What is there? Bad news. The world's broken. The world is full of what the Bible would call sin. War and disease and terrible things that people do to one another. The world's got a problem. What is God doing about it? Well, that's what the Bible tells the story of. God's big story of salvation for a broken world. Him rescuing and redeeming broken people. And the Bible tells this story across generations, across centuries, across millennia even. And at different points in the story, God is responding to the brokenness in the world, the sin in the world in different ways. And in Genesis chapter 11, God was scattering the people. And, and in the same way, much of the Old Testament, God responds to sin by restricting it by not letting it get as sinfully destructive as it otherwise could be. And that's a lot of what the law in the Old Testament is about, the restriction of sin. That was God in that period responding to sin, but that was never going to be a permanent solution. Now we get to the New Testament. We, God responds to sin by sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's come and come to live in a broken world, to love and get alongside broken people and ultimately to die a sinner's death, even though he didn't deserve it, for the sin of the world and to be raised up to life, to triumph over sin and death. And then we see he's ascended into heaven and then sends his spirit out so that his followers, his people, 
can be overcomers in this broken world and to get ready for the coming kingdom that is coming and will come in fruition where sin is finally dealt with. And so there's different stages of God's plan of salvation that we are living through right now and he is outworking. We have the Old Testament time and here at this moment that we're reading about today, Acts chapter 2, is a new chapter and a new way that God is interacting with the world. His son Jesus has come with this work of salvation. He's ascended and he sent his spirit upon his people. And there's a new age of the church where God is gathering in a diverse group of people and uniting them through faith in Jesus Christ together into a community. And that is where history is headed. And we see that in Revelation, the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. It paints a picture of what the future is going to be like. And we see different tribes and nations and languages all gathered together, all united together, praising Jesus. And this moment here at Pentecost is a turning from one era to a new era that's looking forward to that day. And so you need to understand that the church, marked by the coming of the Spirit, is this new and fresh, diverse, united empowered, spirit-filled community. This is what God is doing at this time and in this era. And we're going to see next week as we follow on from this episode where Peter stands up and preaches to the crowd. What does he preach? He preaches what, uh, what God has said at the end of the Old Testament about this new age that is to come. What does he say? In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What's he saying? He's saying, just like he, God scattered the nations in order to bring them all back into his church, it's not just different ethnicities, it's young and it's old, it's male and female, it's rich and it's poor. All receive not only the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the acceptance and unity that bring, join to Jesus brings, but the power of God and the presence of God brought about by the Holy Spirit. This, friends, is the age of the church. This is the age of the Spirit that we are living in. It is no surprise, friends, that the church has spread across all the world. Because that is what the church of Jesus Christ will do until the day that he returns. And the day of spreading and mission is done and the day of the eternal kingdom will, tr will fully be realised. That is where everything is. So we need to understand the church is not just a Jesus fan club. It's not just people with a common interest. The church of Jesus Christ is the diverse Spirit-empowered people of God, united in their faith, brought together for purpose of declaring the mighty works of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is who the church is. Let's return to our text here. What we have 
is 120 or so disciples, followers of Jesus in this upper room. Now, it's likely that they were in or near the, the temple courts there in Jerusalem. And I've mentioned the word Pentecost, not explained yet what it means. A Pentecost is, uh, was a harvest festival in the, in the Jewish calendar. It occurred 50 days after the festival of Passover. And it being a Jewish festival, the, the temple in Jerusalem was a, was a gathering place. People gathered from all over to be there for Pentecost. And that's why there's crowds there. And in the text, we saw different uh, areas of the world named. Just in that list, we have the Middle East, we have Europe, we have Africa, we have Asia, all represented. But what happens, it seems, is the crowds are gathering in the temple for Pentecost, and then they get distracted because these followers of Jesus have suddenly seemingly spilled out of this upper room that they were in, declaring the mighty acts of God, but doing so in lots of different languages and some great spiritual experiences happening over there. And so the crowds start gathering around. And what does it say? Verse 12, they say, what does this mean? Which is a good question, a good question to ask. Hopefully in what I've already said today, you have some sense of what this means and what it's all about, this coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. But it's also important to ask the question, what does this mean for me? I grew, I grew up in a church that the answer to that question was a little bit vague. It was like, mm, what does Pentecost mean for me? Well, not very much because as many Christians do actually believe that what happened at Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, this dynamic spiritual experience was something that happened there and something that happened then and not something that we should expect today. It was a unique occurrence. Now, now that attitude to the Bible is not generally actually necessarily a bad one to have. We shouldn't just automatically expect that just because we read about something in the Bible, we should expect it in our experience. You know, I don't know if you've ever read in Numbers 22, you've got described a talking donkey. Now, I don't read that passage and then look at my cat and say, what's your problem? No, I don't expect necessarily that what I read about will be my experience. We need some good reasons to translate that to us. With this, though, I believe we do have many good reasons to translate what happened to these disciples will be, and we can expect it to be something in our experience as well. And again, hopefully I've already indicated that with what I have said, that this is the age of the church from this moment in, at Pentecost until Jesus returns. There is a set age that is defined by God pouring out his spirit. Now, some people say, well, the, the disciples were unique and there's a, a unique period of time here and it's a, a unique period of time also that the New Testament wasn't written down and, and so we have to section that. The Bible actually doesn't say that is a unique time. I can see, understand why people say that but the Bible doesn't put a ring around that. No, no, the age is the, the age of the Spirit, the age of the church that began at Pentecost and will come to finish when Jesus comes back. 
And Jesus says, in this time, I will pour out my spirit. You know, let, let's, look, let's look back at that. Last week, we looked at the passage that Jesus, as he's just about to ascend into heaven, he's speaking to his disciples and he says to them, Acts 1, chapter 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying this promise of this empowerment by the Holy Spirit and the mission of God being my witnesses in all the earth, those two things go together. If I was writing this, typing this out, I'd put the little hand emoji symbol, hands going together. The power, empowerment of the Spirit and the mission of God go together. That's what Jesus says. So my question to anyone who says, well, this coming of the Spirit, that's for the disciples. It's, it's not for us today. I mean, we have the Spirit, but we don't, can't expect to see what they saw. As, well, my question is, did, you, did Jesus expect that when he says to his disciples, you know, take, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, whether they're speaking to the 12 there or even to the 120, did Jesus expect that they would finish that? Is Jesus giving them an instruction that's just for them, right? You need to, the 12 of you, go to the ends of the earth. I think most people would say, well, because Jesus also said to make more disciples, that this commission of being his witnesses to the ends of the earth is the task of these disciples and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That the mission is ongoing until Jesus comes back. So if the mission of Jesus is ongoing and we've, Jesus says that the empowerment of the Spirit comes for the purpose of that mission, then surely we, this, the empowering of the Spirit is for today as well. If the mission is for today, the empowerment of the Spirit is for today. Because Jesus said, I'm empowering you for the mission. Why are we carrying on with the mission without any expectation that we will receive power? No, no, the promise is for you today. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, this dynamic, miraculous, filling, empowering of the Spirit is for you today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Here's the thing. You can be a Christian and not receive this promised empowerment. Let me walk you through this carefully. It's a big statement to say. You can be a Christian, but not have received what Jesus is talking about here. And I'm going to give you three reasons why that is the case. Number one, well, Neville mentioned it last week, that as you read through the book of Acts, and we'll see as we go through it, there's often a pattern of people believing in Jesus, becoming Christians, but then receiving the Holy Spirit, this empowering of the Holy Spirit, filling up, a baptism, whatever you want to call it. They get prayed for and then that happens as two separate events. Now, not always. Sometimes it happens at the same time, but that exists in Acts. We see that. So there's a pattern in the Scripture. My second reason is to say that I, I experienced this. I experienced this. I lived for many years as a Christian. I loved God, I followed Jesus, I worshipped Him, 
I even had emotional experiences of God and I believed that the Spirit was at work in my life. And I, I still believe that now. You, no one can be a Christian without the Spirit at work in them. Let's be super clear about that. But when I came to this church coming on 20 years ago now, I saw people who their Christian experience much more matched what the disciples as we see in the book of Acts, what they're experienced of. They seem to have this dynamic, filling power of the Holy Spirit. They had faith, they had confidence, they had a joy, they had an assurance. And also they had the spiritual gifts that are also described. Speaking in different languages, prophesying, saying things as if it's coming from God, words of knowledge and understanding and saying things that they would not have otherwise in the natural know. And I was... What, I didn't, you, you can have that. That you as disciples of Jesus can have a Christian life that looks like the disciples of Jesus that we see in the book of, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't think anyone lived like that. I thought, I thought the disciples in the Bible, I thought they were special. And then I realized they are special. But so are you. And so am I. Jesus has made us special by forgiving us, by bringing us into relationship with him. The disciples in the Bible, they weren't actually mature or sinless or deserving of a special empowering. No, because Jesus said, I've empowered you for the mission that I'm calling you to. People that are already powerful don't need empowering people. People who are weak <laughs> need empowering. And that's the heart of Jesus. He loves to empower weak people to do awesome things in his name for his glory. And that is what God is doing through the church today. But thirdly, and maybe more, most importantly, the third reason I know you can be a Christian and not... Have, the received, have received the promise that Jesus is talking about here is that Jesus says that you have to ask for it. Jesus told his disciples that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so what do they do? They're huddled in the upper room, what, twiddling their thumbs? No, they're praying. They're praying. They're asking. They surely were praying that, come Holy Spirit. Jesus said, we're going to receive power. Come on, Lord, we want this. That's what they're praying about. Je Jesus also said, Luke 11, verse 13. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. To those who ask him. Jesus also said, John chapter 7, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What's he talking about there? Well, John in his gospel goes straight on to Answer that question. By this, John says, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
So Jesus says, if you want this empowering of the Spirit for what I've called you to do, ask. You've got to come to anyone who's thirsty, come to me. The Father will pour out the Spirit to those who ask him. You, you have to believe that God wants to bring this into your life. He wants to fill you with his love and his power. It's not automatic. The Bible doesn't say it's automatic. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, ask. He says, come to him. He says, ask. You see, I didn't in my experience, I didn't realise you could ask. I didn't realise there was anything to be, you could ask for. I didn't ask because I didn't know. And I didn't understand. Actually, no one would walk me through it. And I came to the church and I received the teaching. And, and it wasn't like, oh, look, we do it, so you do it. No, it's like, look at the Bible. Look at the book of Acts. Look at what the New Testament says. And I listened to that teaching and I saw it. Oh, wait a minute. This promise of the Holy Spirit is for today. It is for me. That's what Peter says. The promise is for you. Do you believe that? Have you asked? Have you received? And I hadn't. And so I asked. I said, come and pray for me. And I was praying for, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And my Christian life has not been the same since. Are you thirsty? Have you asked? Seek him. He loves to answer that prayer. So as we come into land here, let me say a brief couple of things in terms of how to ask. I've said today, Jesus loves to empower his followers for purpose in this time. Whether it's Pentecost, whether it's when you first become a Christian, whether it's today, maybe you've been a Christian for a while. The context of this is to be empowered to be a disciple of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, don't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit today because, oh, I feel like I ought to. You know, sometimes, I, mean, I know what we're like. We, we say, come and receive the Holy Spirit in worship time and lift up your hands. And sometimes lift up your hands, but mm, I'm not really, I'm kind of, everyone's doing this, so I'm going to do this. No, no, Jesus wants you to ask, to ask him. And don't ask for the sake of just spiritual experience. Oh, these people are filled with the Spirit. That sounds like, oh, I'll, I'll have that. It's, okay, it's not really about you though. To be filled with the Spirit, you ask in a way of, God, I want more of you. <laughs> I want more of your love. I want more of your power. I want more of your presence. I want to be empowered to worship you, to say no to sin, to live the Christian life, to be effective, to be fruitful for you. I want to have confidence to share my faith with other people. I want to have gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that would be cool. No, because I want to bless other people in the church and encourage them and build them up. That's what the other Spirit is given for the purpose of God, for the glory of Jesus and the building up of the church and the extension of the mission of God. And if you're saying, well, that doesn't sound like me. If you're a Christian, that's what you're called to. That's what you're commissioned to. And now Jesus wants to empower you and release you in that. Whatever context you are in, God wants more for you. He's got more for you and he wants you to ask him today. <clears throat> to live according to his agenda, to live in his power so that you might be filled with his love and share his love with the world. That's what it's about, the glory of Jesus, fellowship 
with Him. It's not a reward for mature Christians. It's a promise for every Christian to make you mature, effective and fruitful for Christ. The Spirit has been poured out for your empowerment. At Pentecost, whether you're a new believer, whether you've been a believer for years, the command of the New Testament, go on being filled. So I want to encourage you today, ask for the first time or to keep on asking. And friends, this, this is it. I know we've got big things here talking about the coming of the Spirit. This is what's caused the church to explode because it's not man-made religion. It's not just an ideology. It's the power of God at work through weak people for the glory of Jesus. Come to him today. Ask him today. I'm going to hand now to the team in the room. I'm going to lead us into time of ministry and worship and surely invite you to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. Be blessed and empowered in the name of Jesus. Amen.